Okay, everybody, I'm going to get things going here. And uh, we're off to the races, it looks like. So welcome, everybody. How has your week of bagpiping stuff been? Everybody having a good week? Derek said he didn't realize there were this many pipers. There's actually a lot more than even the 40 of us, uh, which is pretty pretty cool stuff. Yes, indeed. Did anybody um, do anything interesting this week, bagpipe-wise? Looks like Vin uh, got booted off again. All right. Uh, there he is. With the new update to the software, it made me reinstall Flash 2, which is kind of annoying. Uh, but I think we're good. I think Vin's out there now. He's on. I'm back. He's back. Um, we missed you last week, Vin. It was like really hard to get on without you. Oh yeah, so Richmond Highland Games. There were some interesting things that happened there. I know that um, one of our Dojo students was Piper of the Day in grade four, which is pretty cool. And then uh, that was that was pretty neat. John McCain, did you actually attend the Glenfiddich, or did you virtually attend the Glenfiddich? Because I did. He did actually attend. You actually attended the Glenfiddich. Glenfiddich. That's awesome. Yeah. Superb. Yeah, it was pretty cool. People, I, uh, I've always wanted to know, you can't really tell in the, in, the, in the feed, the live stream, but how many people are in the big hall watching the contest, John? Yeah, that's a good question. How, what was the maximum, and while he's at it, what was the maximum virtual attendance that they got? There was, there was almost 2,000 people logged yeah. in at one point. That's yeah. neat. I mean, 900 for the Peabrock, which is astounding. I don't think there's that many listening ears to any single Peabrock contest ever. At the same time, though, like, why was there less? Why was there only half of the people listening to the peep? Oh, I don't know. People. Does it people say anything? Know. Does it th say anything about Peabrock being a little bit out of touch with? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think so. I mean, that's you know, it's yeah. not for everybody. A lot of people, a lot of just as many pipers will say they love it as hate it. You know. Um. So. You know, yeah, it's interesting. It's sort of at the top of the pyramid, right? Yeah, it also started at four a.m. You have to be hardcore to get up, you know. Oh, uh, that's a good point. Yeah, well, 4 a.m. our time is also like 1 a.m. West Coast time. Exactly. So maybe that, go to bed. Yeah, that might have had something to do with it, too. Um, I don't want to diss, I don't want to diss Peabrock here. I don't want to disrespect the art form, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm a huge fan of the idea. Let me tell you a story. Uh, we'll get on with the real show in a second. I'm going to tell you a story about myself. Now, you know, you know me. I'm a big establishment guy. <laughs> but uh, uh, here's, I actually believe the following. Um, I've read a few things here and there. Uh, I agree 100%. I think tuning should not be allowed in solo bagpipe competitions. I am a crazy person, but I actually kind of believe this and uh you know um i think the whole world of solo bagpipe competition would be better if tuning were not allowed yeah it's telling you sense that they tune longer than they played i think glenfiddich used to have a time limit uh, and i think they did away with that a year or two ago yeah um and now now the players get up there and they just futz and futz and futz some more and and uh and then get on with it um i mean the conditions in the hall are kind of weird you know, when you hear some of the guys talk about it, it's, you know, sometimes it can be a pretty drastic yeah. temperature difference. 
But um, at the same time, they so, walk in, they blow up. These pipes sound awesome. Yeah. How much less awesome would they be if they just started playing? And by the end of seven minutes, <laughs> you know, how, you know, would it, would it still sound pretty good? And it probably would, you know. I here's my different maybe, but you know. My argument is, you know, one of the things I know how to do, um, which I've learned through setting up, you know, high-level pipe bands for so long, but you know, we've learned how to really master you know, how bagpipes react environmentally and, you know, um, and how they react to starting and stopping. And I almost think that we're robbed of developing this knowledge and instinct as soloists um, because we're allowed to kind of tune however long we want. And like at Oban and Inverness and some of the big contests, we had tuning lights uh, and that's cool, but the tuning lights are like four minutes. And some people are pointing out like in, in many cases, right? In many cases, that's longer than what you're actually going to play. You know, yeah. now, there's the argument that, well, the, t the actual performance hall is different than the warm-up space. And I have, you know, two thoughts about that. Thought number one is, yeah, so big deal. Like, that's life, right? Um, that's, that's thought number one. And then thought number two is um, maybe it, for indoor contests, you could allow 60 seconds right, to settle the pipe. And if anything is radically different, it would give you some time to reset things. Um, but, but like, let's just go out there and play music. And I bet you the, the first two years, there would be lots of performances where bagpipes went out of tune. But I bet you by, by year three, we would have an equally amazing, uh, you know, quality of bagpipe and stability. Um, after the third year, I bet you my, I bet your bottom dollar, you know, like it would take some adjustment, but, but the benefit would be an yeah. enormously more musical, exciting, um, efficient, and, and, you know, quicker. And the general development of people's uh, skill in that inner ear and development, and sort of training themselves to sort of know when things are locked in would improve exponentially, like very rapidly. I think it would just, it would just happen automatically. People would just get good at it. <laughs> and just do it, you know, and, that, and that's the way it would be. You know, I think uh, you're right about it. Like, given, given the, 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 the inch, you take the mile kind of thing. Um, I think it sort of hurts everybody's skills when you're allowed to just constantly change things in the performance. Like, do, do that in your practice hall, you know, put it, do that in practice room, mess around with things, change around, just constantly mess with things just so you develop the skill and ear to do it quickly. But when you're on the competition stage, you know, that should be done, you know, really, I think, you know, I don't know. It's radical, you know. A good, a, good, a, good, a good example is like, you know, if you play for dancers, um, you know, it's a long day and you're playing the same tune over and over again. And it's like, and a lot of times you don't have time to mess with your drones. And if they're out, you got to get them in between, you know, groups coming out or you got to be able to like do it on the fly while before you start up the next fling, <laughs> you know. So it's yeah. uh it's and it's so in other words, it doesn't really matter if it's a little out of tune, you know, it still sounds good and everybody's still it's still functional, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm there 100%. I mean, like, look at an MSR contest, right? An MSR takes less than five minutes to play, um, but you know, in many cases, pipers are tuning for five minutes, so you could also split the length of these contests in half, yeah, you know, sure. uh, it could be. Uh, it could be pretty interesting experience. Some people are saying like, let them play a two part slow air and whatever, you know, like I don't think the argument is how much do we cut down the tuning? I think the argument is why don't we just get rid of it? Like, could you, or, you know, or just look at pipe bands, you know, like imagine if the pipe band marched into the circle 
and then tuned for seven minutes and hit the drones <laughs> and then played the medley, right? Like, I think what makes the world so exciting is bands go on with what they got and they yeah, lay exactly. it down. It's like and what's the interesting jail. thing? That's it, whatever it is. The, you know. the interesting thing is Field Marshal manages that so much better than anyone else. You know, like they go from the tuning circle to the field um, exactly. in an extremely, exactly. extremely, you know, musical product is the result of it. You know, and uh, I think that's the name of the game. Yeah, I, I actually joked it was when I was listening to the to the to the to the stream. You know, my wife came by and she sort of made funny noises as somebody I forget who it was tuning. I think it was Stuart Little, and he was like, and she's like, she goes, she walks by and goes, you know, like you know, just sort of multi fingers and uh. And I and I joked. I was like, you know, yeah, I actually listen to this for the tuning. I don't actually listen to the performances. I just listen to the tuning. That's why I tune into the Glenn Fiddick. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm almost I'm I'm only half joking because I, I actually kind of get a kick out of watching these guys tune. Um, I just I, it's just for me it's just a fascinating process watching them do yeah. it. You know, even though it's annoying sometimes and it's they do it for twice as long as they perform and um, whatever, but. I don't know. I just, I just, I just get a, a, a kick out of seeing the whole process take place, you know, from beginning to end. Right. Um, Gary says, "Do I hear an argument supporting synthetic drone reads, polypinko pipes, and heaven forbid, synthetic channel reads?" Gary, you've been trying to get me to say this for weeks, <laughs> and I still, I still disagree. Right? I mean, I still disagree, and I think that potential for stability comes out of organic materials um, more than it comes out of synthetic ones. I, I don't picture a synthetic chanterid ever being as stable as an organic one. Just, you know, unless, unless it can really actually mimic, you know, the properties of cane, right? I just don't see it happening. Same with carbon fiber drone reeds. It's just, you know, any, anybody who plays those know that they become increasingly unstable um, in, a moist, in a moist environment. Right, I don't like synthetic drone reeds either, Gary. I mean, I play them. It's sort of a, you know, but uh, they're not stable, right? They're not, they're not as stable as a, cane, a set of cane drone reads would be when set up properly. You know, I just have the problem of, um, you know, problem of dry climate and, I don't know, laziness. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm a radical purist. That's certainly what I, maybe it's the Halloween. Is it like a full moon or something? It's all coming out. Um uh, yeah, and hey, you know, prove me wrong. You know, uh, Carl, Carl, um, and I are going to do a polypinko versus blackwood blind challenge at some point, sometime soon, and see if we can actually tell the difference. And hey, you know, show me a synthetic, show me a synthetic chanterid that is better than my organic one, and um, I'll, you know, I just, I have my doubts. I've been in the game a little while. All right, let's, um, before we get on too much of a tangent, two topics today. Number, topic number one, I want to go through, um, I want to just go through my drone tuning routine and just go through it and share that with people. Uh, we, we've been on a little bit of a kick lately of going back to some basics. And so I want to show you how easy drone tuning is and how it has nothing to do with your ears. Or very little. I mean, you do have to be able to hear, but not much more than that. Um, so that's the first thing I want to talk about. And then after that, if we have time, we need to talk about some bagpipe horror stories, which is uh, a Halloween tradition here at Dojo Universe. It's pretty crazy to think we have been doing this for more than two years now. 
if you do the math, right? 118th episode, and there's 52 weeks in a year, which means that yeah. um, we probably started this program late in 2013, late in 2012. Right? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, late in 2012. Time flies. Time flies when you are dabbling on the internet. I think that's how that famous <laughs> saying goes. Exactly. So, um, so let's dive in. Let's see here. What do I want to do? Ooh, yeah, look at this. It's a big chat, too. All right, guys, so here's my note box over here. Uh, let's start with a little bit of brainstorming. How, how do we tune our drones? Ready, set, type. What's the routine, guys? What's your routine for tuning them? How's it work? Let's hear some thoughts. I'm no one is I'm just, I'm just oh. fan of, a big fan of just reaching up and just sort of touching the drone and pretending. I think that's what a lot of those sort of now, pros do. I think they just sort of that. they just sort of reach up and just sort of grab it and then just let it go like they actually did something. No, you're it's not, not telling the truth. I've <laughs> seen you tune your drones before. You you reach up and then purposely move them out of tune. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's true. It's too true. All right, John's getting the ball rolling here. John says, outer tenor, comma, outer plus inner, comma, then bass. All right. Lenny says, let the pipe major do it. Um, okay. Let's see. Dan says, in a band setting, sample a few low A chanters. Okay. Brian says, check the low A. Have chanter in general balance. Tune outside tenor. Tune inside to outside. Tune outside to outer. Uh, okay. I'm not sure where the bass comes in there, Brian, but I, I guess we'll go for it. Nashby says, I set mine close based on where they normally tune, then play for a bit to warm up. See, that's a good point, Ashby. Absolutely. Know the spacing on the pins. Get them close. Outside tenor, bass, then all three. Ooh, and Gary has private message Lynn. And then Marty's not really on the drones yet. Get the noise out without a hernia. All right, Marty. Well, that's cool. Don't give yourself a hernia though. That would be bad. Okay, this is good. I like. I like. We're getting the juices flowing here. Let the pipe major do it. All right. Not what we. I mean, if we're in the band, that's what's going to happen. And trust um, the pipe major to do it, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the deal. See, now this is my problem. This is the problem I want to solve in the world, right? Too many people saying, oh, forget tuning. I can't do that. Uh, <laughs> I want to, my, my goal is in the next 20 minutes, I want to prove to you that uh, you, can, you can do this. Let's, um, let's start with the first question. Is there such a thing? as being in tune question mark go Vin what do you think no Ashby says no <laughs> Vin says no Robert wants me to define it because if it were true then all the pipers the Glenfiddich would have just gotten up there and played <laughs> that's, that's the fact right there there's your empirical evidence Good, and Lynn says, no, there's just less out of tune. I am, I am with you, right? It's just like, you know, is there such a thing as the best 
basketball player in the world. Well, you know, actually, it's not a great example because LeBron is so good. But, um, you know, there's always going to be someone that comes along better than the next guy, right? And it's the same with being in tune. This is what I believe, and I think it should help all of us. Uh, no matter how well-tuned we are, we could always tune ourselves better. Okay? That's my personal philosophy, right? Just like no matter how good my, um, no matter how good my uh, scale navigation is, it could always be a little bit better. Right? This, is, this is the big thing. Like, so uh, we, we're going to strive for perfection, but one of the things that you, need, that you need to realize, even at the very highest levels, and I am sure, I'm almost sure that everyone at the Glenn Fiddick would agree with this statement, which is, no matter how well they tune themselves, I'm sure they all acknowledge that a higher level of tuning is possible. Okay, so that's my first point to you. There's no such thing as being in tune. So um, the goal, right? So the goal is let's be, uh, let's improve our tuning, right? Now, um, is everybody in this room right now, people who are like, yeah, the pipe major has to do this for me. Are we all capable of improving our tuning skills a little bit today? I think every last one of us is capable of that, right? Now, what if you could improve your tuning and then do it again and get a little bit better, then do it again and get a little bit better, and do it again and get a little bit better, do it again, do it again, do it again. And what if you do it 100,000 times, which might be the number of times I've tuned my pipes at this point? What do you think? How many times do you think you've tuned your drones, Ben? Oh, my gosh. Like how many times, right? Hundreds of times. I tuned... I tune my drones like let's say I practice let's say I practice uh, I don't know uh, 300 hours a year and I retune my drones at least 10 times every practice session right so or every hour I tune it at least 10 times so what's 300 times throw, 10 I just throw like like three or four tweaks in there to each session you know you're always like reaching up and just yeah. twisting just a bit just to get it better you know exactly so i might not be at a hundred thousand hours but then i've been playing for you know then i've been playing for 20 years at this point so 60 60 000 times roughly i've tuned my bagpipes right so let's say each time i tuned my drones i got a little bit better what do you guys think you know my tuning ability should be after 60,000 times, after 60,000 times tuning my drones, do you think I'm A, really good at it, B, fairly good at it, C, not good at it, or like D, I probably should be way better than I currently am after that many times. <laughs> right, each time you get a little bit better, you gain a little bit of experience, you know, all that stuff. So what we need to do, right, is keep this in perspective. Okay, and I promise you, your ear has nothing, you do not need to have a good ear to do this. That is my, that is the whole point. I've written articles about this. You do not need a good ear to tune your drones. As, uh, on the flip side, your ear will develop each time you tune your drones. Your ear is developed. It's not just something you naturally have. Okay. 
Your ears develops not something you natu na uh, naturally have. How much better is my ear um, from the first time I tune my drones to the 10,000th time? Well, it's a lot better. And then let's say you guys look at me. I've tuned drones 60,000 times, and, and most of our most of our students and population around the dojo, they, they're probably only to the thousand mark. Maybe they've only tried tuning their drones really a thousand times. Well, the the difference there makes it seem like I have a magical ear. It also might make it seem like you're never going to get there, but you totally are, right? Everybody. And the other, everybody, the other thing to, to keep in mind too is that you know at, at 60,000 times, you know how many different types of drones have you tuned in that yeah. group, right? So you, you develop a lot of different things too. It's not just your sort of ear you're developing. You're also developing sort of a discerning attention to the quality of sound that you're getting that uh, may change read to read or something like that or pipes to pipes or something. You know? Cool. So let's do, let's do it now. Here's the deal. I want to start by, um, well, so the goal is, okay, the goal is uh, we're going to improve the tuning from the, the state my bagpipe is currently in. Okay, right? That's the goal. So the goal is uh, whatever my bagpipes sound like right now, I'm going to go through this process to improve the tuning of my pipes. That's the goal. We're going to improve. Now, step one, which I want to come back to later. Um, okay, here, here are my steps. Get one drone in tune with low A. Okay, and actually, I lied. That's actually step two. Step one is roughly balance the chanter, and we're going to come back to that. Step two, you know, and that's sort of like, it's almost like a prerequisite. So let's call it step zero. We'll come back to that. So now I am back to calling that step one. We're going to get one drone in tune with low A. Okay. Uh, now, if you're a super advanced tuner, this is not actually true anymore. I do not tune anything to low A anymore. But we'll talk about that later if you feel like asking me about it later. But step one, we're going to get one drone in tune with low A. And I use my outside tenor. Does this make sense so far, Vin? Makes sense to me. Right. Step two. Okay is I'm going to tune the bass to the first tenor. Now, you can, if you really want to, you could tune the tenor, uh, you could tune the middle tenor, but I use the bass, and I'll, uh, and I'll tell you why. We can talk about that a little bit more later, uh, but I'm just going to write out my steps. Step two, I'm going to tune the bass to the first tenor. Okay, then step three. Um, <clears throat> step three is going to be uh, tune the final tenor to the first two. And, uh, you know, and then what's the really important step, the final step? Does anybody know? I'm not, I'm not actually going to check it against the chanter. Robert says call it a day. Nope. Here's the, the really, really, really important final step. Check high A. Nope. Any other takers? The final step of my drone tuning process is very, it's the most important thing. It's more important than step one, two, or three. Ah, 
Lee, you, you, Lee, you're at my class every morning, so you know this. Nope, not going to pat myself on the back. Repeat. Okay? So the most important thing about drone tuning is that it is a repeating process that happens many, many times. Okay, why is it so important to repeat this? There's two main reasons. Why is it so important to repeat my drone tuning steps? Two main reasons. Moisture, not exactly, but you're you're in uh, you're close to one of the reasons. I don't change pressure, Mary. At least that's the goal. As I pop drones in and out, the pressure changes. No, that's not it. A couple people said moisture. Here are my two reasons. The two reasons it's so important to repeat the drone tuning process is number one. Every time I repeat it, I'll be able to get my pipes more closely in tune. Okay, that's answer number one. And number two is, my bagpipe is continuously changing over time. So by the time I'm done with my steps, it's very likely that the pitch of my chanter has changed. Right? If I'm well warmed up, it'll be a very small amount. If I'm just getting started, it'll be a large amount. Right? So the, the, the reason we repeat it is because we, we need to continuously zero in. Right? So the chanter changes in pitch. So that's why it's so important to repeat. Now, someone was asking, uh, what steps do I repeat? I go all the way back to step one and, get, and go again. So, so once I get everything in tune, um, I can go back to the beginning and start again. So I'll turn off my two drones, tune uh, one drone with low A. Um, then I'll tune the bass to the tenor, and then I'll tune the final tenor to the first two drones. And then Steve says, when do we stop repeating and start playing? Well, you can play, right, at any point between step three and repeat, right? See how that works? So uh, now, if I'm, if I'm performing, right, like we just talked about tuning, but let's say I'm at the Glenfiddich, <laughs> uh, not quite, but let's say I'm at, I'm at a big contest. I'm actually going to go through this process several times. Now, we saw the pipers of the Glenfiddich do that, although they condense these steps um, into, you know, they're able to tune several drones at a time, okay? So, it, you know, you don't really see it, but they go through their drone tuning steps. Then what did they do? A lot of them played variations of a P-Brock or a slow air, then they went back to step one, did it all again, played a little bit more. And then after the third time, probably, on average, that's when they started playing their tune. Right? But does everybody see this repeating process? This is something that happens continuously as I play. Everybody give me like a G if this is making sense so far, the process. We can go into a little bit how we're going to tune. Yeah, and I think I think you know, and this you can't sort of uh, ignore psychology and all of this, right? I think a lot of people sort of second guess themselves, doubt themselves, always think that it's not right or it's not um, where it needs to be. But 
you just have to sort of trust the process. You know, just sort of get it as close as you can, leave it alone, <laughs> play it, and then repeat it, repeat the process, and just each time try to get it a little bit better instead of right. doing what a lot of us do, and even myself included, just constantly messing with it in sort of uh, against your better judgment to sort of just constantly Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and for me, the biggest thing is, especially when it comes close to competition time, I, I'm always referring back to my initial philosophy, which is I'm going to get these puppies really, really well tuned. But of course, they're not going to be perfect. It's not possible. So I just want to get to be a, more perfect than I've ever been and hopefully resultantly more perfect than my competition. Right? That's, that's my goal. Okay. Um, drones seem to continuously settle. That's not my experience, right? If I set everything up well, I've yes, got my process. Drones that change typically. <laughs> I mean, they'll change a little bit in the beginning, or if you go from a hot environment to a cold environment or vice versa, they'll definitely take a few minutes for the wood to settle. Um, typically, it's, it's, it's your channery that's changing more than anything else. And that yeah. difference that you're hearing. And if your drones are changing a lot, it could have to do with bad calibration, which in, in calibration and maintenance and all that stuff is a prerequisite to tuning drones. Uh, but we're not, we're not going to be able to go into all that today. But this is my very simple process, right? Okay, now, let's, uh, again, we're going we're gonna to come back to step one at the end because that's the most complicated. Uh, you know, but let's pretend, right? Let's pretend that uh, we got every we got that first drone in tune to the low A for now. How do we tune the first base? How do we turn the first base? How do we turn the base to the tenor? Right. So Lynn, in this case, Steve says all three drones seem to change a lot regardless of calibration. Well, then uh, check your maintenance. You got to check the maintenance, make sure there's no air leaks. And then if you're blowing unsteadily, uh, that, could, that could be causing tuning issues as well. Those are all prerequisites. Mm -hmm. But let's stay on track here. How do we tune the bass to the tenor? Listen for interference pattern. Listen for harmonic change. Now, there's definitely things called, you know, interference patterns. Sometimes they're called beats. Um, I actually, I, I'm going to keep it simple here. I want to leave that out of it. I want to, you know, because let's pretend we don't have an ear of any kind. Like, you know, even though we do. Yeah, the little wah-wah sounds. Yeah, absolutely. Try to listen for tenor clarity. These are all definitely good tricks. Here's what I do. Okay, I, on the assumption I can get my bass more closely in tune with the tenor, here's all I'm going to do, and I'll write it. Okay? Make a move. That's all I'm going to do, up or down. All right, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try and figure out which way to go or anything. I'm just going to make a move. I'm going to go up or down with my bass. Now, let's say I went up. I go up. Um, what am I listening for when I make my move? What do I listen for? 
Do I listen for beats or frequency changes or interference patterns, or is it a lot simpler than that? Ah, thank you, John. Absolutely. John knows. John knows. He's been to the class. Make a move up, and then, yeah, does it get better or worse? What should I do if it gets better? And by the way, better, you know, um, we could talk about what better is, but let's leave that out for now. Let's keep it simple. What do I do if I move my bass up and it seems to get better? John says play the damn tune. <laughs> not yet. We're not ready for the tune yet. He's, he's, he's Glenn Fittick'd out, I think. He's done. He's done hearing tuning. Right. Exactly. So if we move the drone a little bit up and it gets better, we keep going up. So then we go up again. Did it get better? Go up again. Did it get better? Go up again. Oops, except for that time, it seemed to have gotten worse. So if it gets worse, what do we do? Go the other way. Right? So we're, te we're testing. We're testing based on just a wild guess. And aside from being able to hear and making a simple decision, does this sound better or worse right now? We're able to do that, right? Okay, good. And eventually, when you're finished, you'll finish step two, and you'll say, that's about as good as I can make it today. Then we move on to step three. Tune the final tenor with the first two drones. Okay? Uh, what do I do? What's, how do I do? This one's, like, radically different than step two, right? Definitely not, right? I can just copy and paste. I make a move. Now that my first tour in, I make a move and I say, did it get better or did it get worse? And then if it got better, I keep going. If it got worse, I go the other way. And I just keep continuing that until it's as good as I can get it. Then I can play a tune or two and say, hey, does my bagpipe sound amazing? Um, it'll sound better than before, hopefully. Play a little tune, enjoy myself, maybe get some practice in. Um, but then, you know, for whatever reason, you know, maybe you feel like you can get it closer, or maybe you feel like your chanter has drifted or has changed. We, re we repeat. We do the final step. We repeat the drone tuning again. Any questions? Has anybody out there, we've got a good crowd today, 53 people. Anybody out there have any light bulbs go off for drone tuning? Can everybody see the logical pattern. Anybody got any light bulbs? John Walls is ready. Yeah. I would say, John you know, and, this, and this is the, this the, if you can, if you can do this and you can make this sort of habit and get good at it, you'd improve your performance, uh, performances immeasurably. So if you're in competitions, say in grade three or four, you'll stand out <laughs> already, I think. Um, yeah. from, from the back. So there's incentive there to do this. Lee can't believe I'm giving this stuff away for free. Yeah. <laughs> Heck, what a guy I am. <laughs> All right. Now, um, so that's good. See, I'm giving this information away for free, but if you want to see like how it all connects. See in action, right? Boy, do I have some products for purchase that would just be really interesting. Um, it's true. Um, so, uh, so there you go. Then we're going to repeat that. 
that we're going to repeat that. We're going to do it again and again and again and again and again and again. We're just going to keep doing it. Now, what, what's going to happen over time, right? right? Over time, as we repeat this, do you think we're going to get better or worse at, um, better or worse at knowing, let's say, uh, which way to move the base? That's a great, I, I remember when I first uh, hung out with Alan Bevan and had a little session with him and um, he, he had his pipes out. As a matter of fact, a lot of guys, when I first went to SFU, it was incredible how fast these guys could whip their pipes into tune. And I was already a very advanced, obviously, you know, I was, a, I was a rookie at SFU, so I was already a really good piper, but it was incredible how good these guys were. Um, that's because I think all of them had an inherent knowledge of these steps. But yeah, like, step two, move the, you know, make a move. Well, I pretty much know which way I'm going to move at this point. Because I've learned what a flat bass drum, or you know, versus a sharp bass drum, I've learned what that sounds like. I use other clues too. People were were saying like, I know where my bass drum usually tunes. So when I reach up, I can often feel. Oh wait, that's way too high. I just move it down. I can use all sorts of clues. Yeah, and then Tony says it's just hard to tell. Is it better here or there? Well, you just have to explore. Right, and ultimately, you're not going to be able to get it as close as I can yet, right? Like you might be at, you know, uh, you might. And, and Tony, I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh, I don't know how many times you've tuned your drones, but maybe you're at the 1500 mark. Well, remember, I'm at the 60,000 mark <laughs> as far as drones, and that's not counting like how many students' drones I've tuned, how many sets of drones in the band I've tuned, how many pe how many people I've listened to while they're tuning. That it's all related, right? You know, thousands and thousands of times, basically. Um, yeah, and then Rob, you can you can intentionally go too far. That's a great first move, you know. Go too far and then come back. Record yourself tuning. Yeah, all these things work. Uh, but stick to the simple plan. This plan is clearly the way to go. And then, yeah. I enjoy listening to the tuning about, you know, for two performances or something. But these are the best of the best. Sometimes when we watch somebody like Bruce Gandy or Jack Lee tune their pipes, um, they, you know, and, or if you just watched me in a regular practice session, you might not be able to follow these steps because they're condensed. For example, I do step... Um, I do steps one, two, and three as one step. Or for me, it's, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, uh, for me, it's so easy to get the three drones in tune that I condense the steps. Right? So um, let me just, I'll move yeah, these down. And one, of the things, one of the things, too, is like, you know, sort of good in, as, a, as a category, you know, good sound or pleasing sound or um, is, is a pretty wide range. Not wide in the sense that there's a lot, a movement can be done, but there's 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 definitely space in there to be better and worse within, say, good. You know, so something could sound pretty pretty decent, yet still can be a little bit better, um, you know, objectively. You know, and so so you could you could get good at this and still have your drones good, but um, you know, it can always you know there's 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 a, just a there's a range there where you can go to be a little bit better. Um, so, but it doesn't mean that you're not good if it's not. 
<laughs> the best it can be, you know. I think that's, that's it's just it's more of a qualitative kind of thing. It's um, you know, there's a there's definitely more than one aspect of good, you know, in in, in all of this. And it's really about developing your own ear about what's pleasing to you, um, and and sort of developing that more, uh, and getting to that to that level, you know. Yeah, uh, I just wrote out my steps. So these are, as you can see, this is um, this is like a different routine. I my hunch is most pipers at the high levels do something like this. Step one, I get all three drones in tune with each other. Bing, bing, bing. Takes me like five seconds probably, and you know, to get them at least roughly in tune. Then I compare that pitch to the majority of the notes on my chanter. And you know, like for example, oh, you know, I my drone number is sharper than my chanter right now. So then I make a move. I just move all of them down, 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 down. Uh, then I repeat it, do it again, and by the time I've done it three times, I'm really close to being in tune. Right. So that, that's the advanced routine. And uh, as I was mentioning before, I don't check low A any more than I check any of the other notes. One of the things an advanced player learns, uh, you know, this is between 50,000 and 60,000 times you tune your drones, right? Somewhere in there you realize, wait, my low A betrays me over time, right? The low A actually changes relative to the other notes on the chanter um, more, like it changes a lot as the chantery takes on moisture and stuff like that. So what I do instead is I try to tune, you know, I, I, I listen to the majority of the notes and tune my drones to the majority of the notes. Um, it's, you know, um, and I let things settle in and, and stuff like that because the uh, yeah, Doesn't the high hand change more? It's interesting. The high hand changes more. Um, uh, the high hand changes more with temperature, but the bottom hand changes the other direction with uh, moisture, I think, or something like that. Right? They change in different ways at different times. Yeah, and you know, and one of the super duper advanced tricks, which probably no one really will talk about, but they do it unconsciously because they're so good at this process, is that when you're thinking about whatever you're playing, you know, they're going to make sure that those drones are tuned to, say, long Fs in those P-Brocks or, you know, big high Gs and things like uh, things of that sort, Where or if, it, if your tune is mostly on the bottom hand, your drones are going to be, you're going to make sure that whatever your bottom hand's doing, your drones are going to be perfectly in sync with that. Um, so it sounds really good overall just a, just a nice sort of quality there but, um, yeah dan says here's dan says i recently read that ridge cut reeds are more stable over various blowing pressures is that true question mark um it's interesting uh, th th that's a perfect example of something that i would not put too much stake in at all the reason being that conceptually i'm going to be blowing a perfectly steady pressure when I play. Therefore, the stability of a reed should not be overly relevant. Now, granted, um, at the very high levels of band competition and um, maybe even some like long P-Brock competitions, um, you know, there could be exceptions to that rule. But uh, so Dan, that's a perfectly good example of something we shouldn't think too much about. 
because when we're blowing perfectly steady, uh, the stability of a reed shouldn't matter too much. Right. Uh, now, granted, um, I don't think it's ridge cut necessarily versus other reeds, maybe a little, um, but um, easier, more flexible reeds, um, which, by the way, produce more harmonics, uh, mm -hmm. will inherently be less stable with changes in blowing. I think one of the things that ridge cut reeds have in common is that they're usually um, they're usually played in you know higher strength environments like pipe bands where you know where we want that rigidity. Then you had a thought. That's what I was going to say. I think they're they're more the ridge cut versus sort of the round body is more a, a sound issue in terms of performance of the reed the way it vibrates. You know, you say in a band environment you want that sort of nice stiff crisp sound to last <laughs> with with a minimal amount of effort, you know, with, with, versus say a round body with, to get that really stiffness, you got to blow your brains out. Um, so that's the advantage there. It's more sound quality, robustness and things like that. But I think it's, you need to worry about those kinds of reads rather than, you know, blowing pressure and stuff. Absolutely. Okay, let's leave it there because we need to do our annual bagpipe horror stories edition. You don't have any spooky Halloween music to play in the background, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Seems like I have something that might be spooky for some drummers. <laughs> drummers right now kind of copy and do what they're told. <laughs> That's right. That's what I'm going as this Halloween pipe band drummer. So there you go, folks. If you have any questions, if you have any questions about drone tuning or you want to learn more, um, obviously let us know. We, there's lots of opportunities for very reasonable price um, at Dojo U, like memberships and we have courses and um, stuff like that. Um, That's good. Tony's right. Since when do they do what they're told? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those drummers. Um, okay, bagpipe horror stories. Anybody have any good horrific experiences this year? I kind of had one. I had one really hot parade in September. My uh, flapper valve gave out and started leaking. Oh. Well, yeah, while I was playing. And um, it was subtle. It wasn't like all the way given out. It was just a little bit, but I kept finding myself getting like dizzier and dizzier and dizzier. And it didn't help that it was like a trillion. It was probably over 100 degrees on the pavement. Um, and that was just a bad experience, a true nightmare. Okay. I was I was actually I was um you know working with my uh, my daughter's dance teacher in her dance class and I was playing for them during a couple of classes working up toward uh, Bethlehem where I played for the competitions and uh you know I used the drone dries and I forgot my canisters one day for one session oh, so, yeah. I them. so I brought and I realized that when I opened the case like when I was at the studio you know I was like oh crap so I just, you just have to go something that is a unique experience I must say. I, I play. I went and played anyway, and did the best I could. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm not competing or anything, but it. Wow. How was <laughs> it? Sound. That is. That was is, it, is uh, a unique sound. That's for sure. Interesting. You was you, you know you would think it's like it wouldn't matter like whatever you know the, the canisters are missing it's still a chamber but I guess the uh, the, the size of the chamber is just uh, that much bigger than normal so and plus it's plastic so it's it's not a not the most pleasing sound drone sound you've ever heard that's for sure. I would like, imagine not. It was not. It was not pretty. Plus, plus, you know, the airflow changes too. So I was like, blow my brains out. It was like I was trying to trying to keep them steady. You know, it was funny. How about you, Carl? Any uh, horror stories this year? 
Huh? Maybe we caught him off guard. Ugh. How about you guys out there in the audience? Oh, he's typing. Not really this year. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Not visited by any demons. Oh, good for you, Carl. <laughs> any bag? Uh, Ashby was saying he lost a bunch of weight and almost marched out of his kilt. That's like a non-related. It's not related specifically to bagpipes, but uh, that's nice Richard. Yeah, oh, Janet! Yeah, that's how. Janet fell into the the sinkhole. There's always one. Yeah. Always one. Whoop! Yeah. Mine you could have a particularly have heavy left foot. <laughs> yeah. That's what I like about some games where they actually build the boards. You know, the boards are the best. Yeah, they're cool. Absolutely. I saw a video of a. Uh, was who was it? It was an old video of Colin McClellan playing at Cowell, and Cowell, you know, has got those big platforms, right? They got those giant, giant stages, like big square things. And he marched. He did his march. He did his march. He just marched in a big like square around the edges. It was really cool. It was just like back and forth around, just and not, not back and forth for the judge, sort of boring, you know, two points. It was like a four-point thing. You just went a big circle. It was pretty cool. Some of my most classic horror stories, um, you know, which I've told before, like when Leslie Webster got attacked by the bee during my pee brock, and she got up and started running around <laughs> during my pee brock, you know. It was great. And then, like, after about three minutes, and I just kept going, like, after about three minutes of like running around and swatting the bee, you know, some time during the Terrorless variation, she sat back down and wrote a few comments, and <laughs> and I won. I won that day. I wonder if I won based on musical merit or because she was like feeling bad about percent of the around. tune. <laughs> yeah. You so that's wanna, that's one of the classics. Really that was it. Yeah, it's one of the classic ones. Yeah, the holes are always good. That's always a good one. I've, always, I've seen it and done it, and it's always something that happens that inevitably at some games. Yeah, there's always, every now and then you get a sheep running around. Yep, that happens. Dogs. Got to watch out for those. Unleash dogs is my thing. Yeah, that's the dogs. There's the dogs that will come up and sing along. <laughs> uh, those are always good. Yeah, I've, I've seen that happen in pipe band circles a couple of times. The dog runs out and just sort of runs zigzaggy through the, through the competition circle. It's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, tugging at the end of the plate. <laughs> Terrible. I've definitely had cats, like, attack my drone cords. That can happen. Caber lands. Oh my gosh! Really? That's frightening. That's frightening. One one got away. What's the competition platform doing that close to the to the athletes, man? <laughs> That's my question. You don't want to you don't want a spare stone or hammer coming your way, you know? It was one of those southern venues, Vin. Oh yeah. Integration. Integration is the thing in the South, you know. <laughs> That's right. But the pipe the piping competition's right there, right next to the to the athlete's judge tent. Yeah. 
You guys are grunting. You guys are tossing their sheep over the. Carl was just groaning. That, I didn't mean that in any other way other than to say the athletics are usually integrated with these solo events and in, interweaved. That's it. Let's see. Prior to a band competition. Ah, oh, see, what? Tom, you took it to the next level. Oh, man. That's, oh, that's man. <laughs> oh, axe throwing. Really? At the games? Oh, nice. SFU used to warm up next to the Renaissance reenactors at the Seattle <laughs> games. That was always interesting. Not really a horror story, but. The axe throwing is fun, though. I've actually done that a couple of times at some of these festivals. All right. Well, I think this is a good time to wrap it up. I hope everybody has extremely happy uh, and fruitful Halloween. Oh, yeah. Andy Fall. And uh, I don't know. We'll be back next week with another amazing topic. Yeah, uh, by the way, there's a web link. There's a web link down there. We're off and running with our Piper's Dojo store, brand new site. And, uh, you know, feel free to check things out and get a little bit of a deal here. Um, having watched this. Real quick, how's Bob Matheson doing on Mondays? Doing awesome. Yeah, we had a second good class on Monday. And uh, what are we talking about next week? I think we're talking about... Oh, I don't remember. But, uh, yeah, you guys are very welcome. We will catch you later on. All right. Have a good day, all. Happy Halloween. <laughs>